I'm reading from Isaiah chapter 50, verses 10 and 11. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand, you shall lie down in torment. This is the reading of God's words. You may be seated. Thank you so much, Shirley. Good morning. All right. It is, uh, it's good to be here with you together this morning. I want to encourage all of us to sit in this moment together for a bit. This might be the last time we are cold in this auditorium for months. Yes. Okay. Are you, you're happy about that. So, uh, you know, who knows? We never know looking ahead what it will feel like in here. And so it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's starting to get warm out there, but still... Still cool in here, amen? Yes, so uh, also I see that a lot of our students are not here. Uh, they're not in the splash zone that is normally full of our brave students, so uh, this, this could be your chance, right? Move on up. And uh, also in this, in this moment, this is the time of year that everyone else is jealous of us, of Tucson, right? We have a little bit of a chip on our shoulder, and uh, but this time of year, we don't have to wait, change our clocks when we wake up in the morning, unless some of us, like in my home, I won't point any fingers, uh, don't have their phones set up in such a way that, you know, isn't in touch with all the other crazy states that change their times, and some of us still did wake up an hour early, you know, accidentally, <laughs> but no. I'm sure you're not alone. It was good. It's good. Well, also, I won't get into basketball, but hey, it's also good on that front too, right? Rejoice with those who are rejoicing. We are in Tucson. We are rejoicing. And uh, also now in much more consequential realities before, um, actually, sorry, I forgot to introduce myself. I'm a little excited. Uh, my name is... Dave, I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm glad that you're here, glad we can be here together this morning. And um, I also want to let you know, if you're new or you've never heard me preach before, uh, I have a stutter. It'll come in and out as I preach, and I always just want to make sure that's out there so everyone knows knows that. And um, and so uh, also, though, I, this, this, uh, this month is Women's History Month. And um, as you know, last month we took a, we took time each each week to honor and, and consider um, Black history and God's blessing and contribution in shaping the church, His people, um, specifically through uh, Black individuals in the Black church as a whole. And um, we just honestly considered with you know this month coming right after it, we're still in conversation about how to honor um, women, but specifically just even pre pre preparing for this week for this mo morning. Um, I just want to actually ask, um, and, and maybe before I do, so for those of you who need a heads up, I want to ask the women in our church to stand and us to honor and thank um, thank you. So uh, will you go ahead if you're a woman? Um, will you stand uh, now, please? And I just would love to honor you. And yeah, 
Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah, th thank you. And, and even, I don't know if that felt awkward or weird, indulge me, but, uh, but you know, there, that was a lot of people, more than half of our, our ch church. And uh, the reality is a lot of language, especially in the New Testament, especially in the, what are referred to as the pastoral epistles, there's, there's language of, of, of a household. We have a marriage ministry, which we're just kicking off, and we just got to have our first week, around 60 or so people were a part of that this, uh, this last week, which was, yeah, we're going to clap a lot. Okay, state of the union, right? Just keep standing and sitting. No. Um, so... We, we, we talked about this, the household of God. The, the Latin is the pater familias, and, and the, 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 the family of God. And again, the language used is, is of mothers and, and fathers and, and sisters and brothers and, and, and you know, aunties and, and uncles. And, and that's the reality in our church, that whether married or divorced, or single, or young, or older, uh, wherever it is specifically, we need, um, again, our mothers and aunties and sisters. Um, so again, th thank you. And uh, we're, we're glad you're a part of our church and want to honor and, uh, and pray that the Lord will continue to grow and shape us in um, what it looks like to, to, to thrive as his family to, together. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to be in Isaiah together, uh, kicking off. We have about two and a half chapters to, 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 to cover together. So turn there with me, Isaiah chapter 50, if you have a Bible with you. And if you don't and you would like one, which I'd encourage, will you um, hold your hand up high and keep it up and we'll all... Uh, shake our heads at you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, sorry. We will get you one, okay? We want to make sure you have a Bible with you. Um, right, I've got all the jokes this morning. But um, so, yeah, please do keep a, uh, There's a hand up right there, I see. And um, y en español, si quiere la Biblia y no tiene, por favor, levante su mano y diga español. Y si no tiene una Biblia, um, eso es un regalo a usted. Y esta mañana estamos en Isaías. So again, we're in Isaiah, and this is our gift to you. Uh, excuse my, my joke and mockery earlier, right? Want to make sure everyone has a Bible. Uh, if you know someone who needs one, you can take it and give it away to them as well. So let's go ahead and pray together as we get into our time in Isaiah. Father in heaven, blessed be your name. Blessed, set apart, good is your name. And uh, we get to call you Father. We get to see you, Father, because of the work of our older brother and our King, Jesus. And even as we just now talked about and acknowledged and re recognized, Lord, we grieve that so often uh, your people, your church, we have not functioned as a family. Uh, too often we function as a business or an organization um, Lord, too often those of us with power or in leadership um, fail to re recognize our call and the, and the joy in, in serving alongside and next to and with um, our, specifically our, our sisters in, in Christ. And um, Lord, we pray that you continue to shape us. Um, we acknowledge and 
um, we repent over the reality that, um, um, Lord, that, that outside of your intervention, uh, we, we are struggling. We don't have it figured out. And so while we embrace that, we also re- repent of where we get it wrong. And Lord, we pray that this morning, in this moment, this isn't a speech, it's not a TED Talk, it's not, um, Lord, it's something in, in, that's humbling and also profound where you, the God of the universe, are speaking to us through your word, words written well over 2,000 years ago through um, an imperfect person with a stutter, your perfect word is speaking to us. So, Lord, will you inter- intercede and help us? Lord, let the words of my mouth, Lord, let the thoughts, the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In your name, Jesus' name, we pray, amen. Church, do you know that we were created for intimacy? We were created to be known and to know. That, that's how God wired us. That's how he, he made us. That in the beginning, God right, created everything. He spoke the entire world into existence. We actually believe that. And um, we, we know that God said, let there be, let there be, let there be. And when God said, let us make man in our image, He's speaking the need that in order to reflect him, in order to bear his image, we need to be in community, community with each other, in right community with the world around us, and in right relationship, in right community with God, our creator. And yet, individually and corporately, we have said, no thanks, God. I don't want to find my identity or my purpose or my flourishing and my thriving through you, through my relationship with you. But we have chosen isolation. We have chosen, and in many ways, we've just grown up assuming that isolation is the way life is to be lived and experienced. Isolation from each other, flowing out of or responding to Isolation from God. Sin, in kind of a nutshell, is not God. And we've just embraced and live in light of the reality that isolation is how we live. But God loves us too much to leave us in our isolation. He, he speaks into, he calls out and recognizes and, and, and says that's not the way it should be. And God calls his people out of isolation. And so in this section of Hebrew poetry that we're walking through together this morning in Isaiah chapter 50 through chapter 52, verse 6, we're going to look at what isolation does to us. So to give some of us a framework of where we're headed, go ahead and throw up on the screen here what we're walking through together. That God calls his people out of isolation. Isolation says... God doesn't care, but God continues to love. Isolation also lulls us to sleep, but God continues to speak. And then isolation says we don't need help, 
yet God continues to save. So let's kick off together in chapter 50, verse 1. If we look at God calling his people, you and me, like pause in a moment, God's speaking to you this morning, calling you out of isolation and calling us together corporately out of our world, our everyday life of isolation. First, by acknowledging that isolation tells us God doesn't care. Look in chapter 50, verse 1. Thus says the Lord, where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities you were sold, and for your transgressions your mother was sent away. So what we, um, what's happening there is God is using, again, Hebrew poetry, this imagery, this metaphor that it would be as though, I've talked about this before, my family grew up with a lot of divorce all over the place. And it is though God's lover um, left him and, and, and walked away and was wayward. And yet God called out. God, in this context, the husband would have to be the one to give a certificate of divorce. And God says, show me the certificate of divorce. I, I didn't leave. I, I didn't. I, in fact, I called out after you. I, God is the pursuing lover. I'm going to stop saying that word because I'm having a hard time with it this morning. God is in pursuit. He is the faithful spouse. And yet we, his people, have wandered away from him. And God says, no, no, you're not in isolation because I left you or I abandoned you. You've, you've left me. And then he changes the metaphor or the imagery and he goes on and says, to which of, of my creditors did I sell you? So like, um, you know, if you've ever seen the musical Oliver or, you know, something along those lines or, the, or, or um, Great Expectations, the book Great Expectations, which would often happen is that a, a child would be in an indentured servant on behalf of their family. The child would go and would work to kind of earn money and, and pay off a debt or something for their family because their family was too impoverished or didn't have enough power. And so the child would be sent away on behalf of the family. So first, and this is in light of this whole poem that we've read, God has been flexing, right? Like nonstop. And God's saying, am I not all powerful? Who, to whom do I owe a debt? And again, this imagery, he's like, no, you are my wayward children. You thought life would be better somewhere else. You ran away. Anyone else here ever tried to run away from home when you were growing up at some point? I definitely did. Maybe you got as far as the corner in your cul-de-sac, which was like it for me. I'm like, well, I have too much pride to go back with my tail between my legs. And so I'm going to just hide out here under this bush, you know, for a while. And of course, parents knew where I was and stuff. And they're like, I see you. But they're mocking me. But, uh, you know, it's, but as we wandered and run away from God, God calls out and says, it's not good there. Life won't be found there. That's not what I made you for. You, you're, you, you've run away from me, God says. And again, that's, that's not where life is found. Isolation tells us God doesn't care. But God, God does care. He, he cares about the well-being of his people and also 
about the, the truth of his name. And name isn't just like God, Yahweh, like what we would, you know, Dave, Joe, whatever. But n- name is who, who you are. God cares about the health of his people and he cares about the truth of who he is, about his name. Look in chapter 52, verses 5, uh, five through 6. So, by the way, handling the poetry this morning, we're not going to walk through it like we sometimes do. If we kind of this verse, this verse, this verse, we've kind of zoomed out to get the big idea of this whole, whole section. So jump ahead with me or we'll have it up here on the screen. Chapter 52, verses 5 and 6 is this. Now, therefore, this is God speaking. Now, therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing, their rulers wail declares the Lord, and continually all the day my name is despised. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. God cares. He cares about the state of his people. I don't know what you are going through. I don't know fully what we are going through globally, locally, as God's people. But God cares. Isolation leads us to believe the lie that he doesn't, but he cares. He cares about his people, and he cares about his name. And now introduce, God, God begins to speak. Throughout this whole time, there's been, God speaks through his servant. There's been this character, right, throughout this poem or this play, if you will, God is, God is explaining things, and you have God, right, creator God, and then you have the audience, God's people, and then you have the coastlands or the nations, the world, and God is speaking, and then there's been kind of subtly introduced throughout this time this character, the servant, We'll get more to the servant as time goes on, but now God speaks to and through the servant. And so the servant speaks and enters the conversation. Now, back in chapter 50, verses 4 through 5, the servant is now speaking about isolation from God. And and the servant says this, The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning, he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. The servant says, listen, I can attest to the fact that, 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 that isolation from God is not where life is found, that I commune with God. Morning by morning, I spend time with God, right? We could insert our own kind of church culture language of a quiet time, right? I spend time with God. I, I hear from him. I pray. I read his word. I hear from him. God has given me ears to hear, and he's woken me up every morning. He leads me. So the servant is giving his testimony, if you will. He's sharing. Life is found in communion, in intimacy with God. And then he says, listen up. It's not just for me. I'm not just some kind of unique character. This is the way life was meant to be found for you. Listen up. Again, isolation tells us that we are all alone, that God has abandoned us. Yet God continues to love. 
And then isolation also, though, lulls us to sleep. And now through the voice of this servant, God tells us, wake up, listen up. God continues to speak to his people. In, uh, in chapter 51 now, verse 1, you can pick up with me there. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry or the, the quarry from which you were dug. Listen up, listen to me, remember. Again, God is reminding his people, listen to me, remember who you are and who I am, right? If um, any of you participated in our Ash Wednesday service that we walked through over at the church office and we read and we recited Right, remembering why do we we use ashes there, and what is what does all that mean symbolically? Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. It's remembering who God is and who we are. That God created us from the dust. That that's that's creation language. God intimately and purposefully created His people. And this here, remember who you are. Remember where you come from. Remember, God says that I am the Creator and you're the created. You're the creatures. I formed you. Listen to me. Wake up. In chapter 51, verse 4, again, I have all these up here as we walk through, as we get kind of showered with God's word. Give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation, for a law will go out from me, and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. Again, pay attention. Give me your ear. Listen to me, God says. You've been sleeping, you've been drugged, you've been lulled. Wake up. Chapter 51, verse 6. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look at the earth beneath. For the heavens vanish like smoke, and the earth will wear out like a garment, and they who dwell in it will die in like manner. Right? God loves us too much to just beat around the bush and give little kind of coffee cup plug platitudes, right? Sometimes God awkwardly just says what needs to be said. Amen? Says, you, you look where you dwell, like you're focusing on like the smoke, the earth, it will all wear out like a garment. But my salvation, God says, will be forever. And my righteousness will never be dismayed. What's God saying here? I love this imagery, this phrase that I heard from someone else once time. Stop navel-gazing. What do I mean by navel gazing? No, navel gazing, right? We stare like at our own, our navels. We're just like so focused on ourselves and our own situations that God says, look up, look around at the earth and see all that I have created. If you're gonna look at yourself, recognize that you were created. You didn't make yourself. No matter how much you go to the gym and try to sculpt yourself, you're, it's like it could end in a second. God says, I made you, look at me. I'm the creator. Stop focusing on yourself. Not because God is mean or, or, or narcissistic as we would define it, but again, because he cares about his name and he knows that only in his name, in relationship with him and intimacy with him is life found. Amen? He continues on in chapter 51, verse 7. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings. Look at me, says God, 
If you're found in me, if you have intimacy with me, there's nothing to prove and nobody to impress. Your identity, your name is secure as it's found in who I am, says God. Chapter 52, again, verses 1 and 2. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. That's the people of God. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Okay, let me just acknowledge, that's some pretty graphic language that God is using here. And, and, and sadly, his people who have been held captive and taken captive in Babylon, God's covenant people, his, his bride, his, his married people, his children, have chosen to sell themselves into captivity and God is saying, I know you have been violated. Again, this is very graphic language there. God says, I know that things are not the way they're supposed to be. I see your pain and I care. I, I see what's been done to you and I grieve and I love you. And it's not the way it will always be, right? God says, put on your strength Put on your beautiful garments. Put on your wedding dress. Remember, God says to us, you're my bride, and I'm coming for you. I love you, and I have a plan for you. What you're currently experiencing is not the end of the story. Your current situation does not define you. It is not all there is. Church, let me just say that again to us. Your current situation is not all there is. It doesn't define you. What you've done or perhaps what has been done to you does not define us if we are in the Lord, if we belong to him and are his people. Again, some of us, I think there's a, there's a condemnation or an exhortation here, a conviction that we should should, should lean into because we've just chosen to run away. Others of us, there's, there's an encouragement there. And God says, either way, whether you chose to put yourself in the dungeon or you've been placed in the dungeon, the cold, damp floors that you think is secure is not where life is found. You've, you've made your bed, and if, if you've ever pictured or, or heard this, I've, I've read stories or heard stories of people held in captivity, right? You've even, if you've ever seen movies or things where this is portrayed, there's this idea of almost like clinging to the floor, like staying in the floor. Even when, even when the, the helpers, when someone comes to set someone free, and there's almost like a grabbing and grasping after the bars, because what was their captivity? has been confused for the comforter. And God says, that's not where comfort is found. Even though the darkness and the dampness seems like where life is, and it's going to be painful sometimes to come into the light where warmth will eventually heal. God says, I'm, I'm bringing you into my light. I know you've been lulled to sleep. You've been tricked. 
that isolation is actually where safety is found, but it's not. In the New Testament, using the same language from Isaiah, the Apostle Paul, the author Paul, says this in Ephesians chapter 5. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Again, church, many of us have been lulled to sleep. We don't want to wake up because we're afraid at what we'll see when we open our eyes. Some of us need to hear that as an exhortation, as a rebuke. Idolatry, idol worship lulls us to sleep. I think of this alcoholism has been massive in my family or drug addiction and things like that. And the idea of, of, of waking up with the hangover to an alcoholic, the, 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 the lie is continue to, to drink. And it's short term, it's true. The headache will go away. The, the, the hangover will eventually kind of get, get numb. But, but it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a trap. It's a lie. And you get lulled into thinking, oh, I just need another drink. I need another beer. I need, oh, I just need to kind of take the edge off. And it's painful to go through the process of detoxing. But it's ultimately healing. And again, on the flip side, some of us have just been, because of other things, we've just been lulled to thinking like, this is all there is. I might as well make the best of my captivity. And it will be. When someone who's been starved is now given food, it can be painful. It can be dangerous. But again, God loves and says, no, come into intimacy and out of isolation. It might be painful, but it will be healing and ultimately good. But lastly, some of us really struggle with that because isolation also lies to us and tells us we don't need help. Like what Peter walked us through earlier during the confession and assurance of grace. Look with me here in, again, chapter 50, verses 10 and 11. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light Trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. And then verse 11, behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand, you shall lie down in torment. God's message is, some true choose to pull themselves up by their bootstraps to just think, I've just got to get more degrees. I've just got to get more money in my bank account. I've just got to find the right relationship. I've just got to get my household in order just like this. I've just got to get my kids to behave just like this. I just need to, to, to present myself just like this. And then life will be found. And that's, that's an echo chamber of isolation. And God says, for you, it's going to end in torment. Again, he doesn't say that to shame us, but because he loves us. Because life is never found when we try to light the way of our own paths. But God says, others of you, verse 10, who though you're in darkness, 
and you don't have a light of your own that's going to light the way. You have no idea how you're going to make a way. God says, the Lord sees you and will take care of you. One commentary I read by Warren Wiersbe, he had a whole series called Be uh, be, be something. And this one is be comforted. And this is what he said. It's walking through Isaiah. And this is, he, he explains this passage this way. Those who try to eliminate the darkness by lighting their own fires, i.e. following their own schemes, will end up in sorrow and suffering. In obedience to the Lord, you may find yourself in the darkness, but do not panic for he will bring you the light you need just at the right time. Those who follow their own schemes. Again, some by necessity, you've, you've, you've survived this long because you've paved your own way. God says, I see you. I know your circumstances, but there's a better way. Eventually, that way will run out. But God says, the way of stumbling along and trusting that you don't have your own torch, your own flashlight, but the Lord, the light of the world, will light the way to life for you. He says, you do need help. And God says, and I delight to help you. Isolation lulls us into thinking we're alone, we're somehow safe in our captivity, and we don't need any help. But throughout this, these couple chapters today, and throughout the last couple weeks, the servant has kind of been in the background and has been speaking. At first, the, the servant uh, heard from God on behalf of the people. And then, as we saw today, the servant at times spoke on behalf of God to the people. And then throughout this poem that we've been walking through today, the voice of the servant and the voice of the, of the Lord became one. And the people, if we can put ourselves in their shoes, God's people reading this Hebrew poetry would be leaning at the end of their seats, right? If you've ever watched a movie, um, I'm so bad with titles. I was about to try to mention one, but right. One where you're like, I don't know, Pulp Fiction. Sorry, if you've ever, that's my era. But one where you're like, wait, I don't get it. How's this working? How does it all play together? And how does this scene and that scene, like, I don't get it. I need more. Again, you've watched a play or in your, you're leaning in. That's what God has been doing throughout this poetry. He's, he's inviting us. He's bringing us in. What is he doing? He's been speaking to this servant who's a representative of the people. And then he's been speaking to the people through this servant who's kind of his mouthpiece, his ambassador. But now all of a sudden, this servant, his voice is also indistinguishable from God. Come back next week. All right, we'll, we'll know more, but we need to sit in that tension. But church, for us today, as we respond, and Kira will walk us through our time of response together, Let's remember the reality. Let's look in the face of the reality of where we are. We all, either by choice and or by what has been done to us, live in isolation. And we're tricked 
we think it means God doesn't care. We're just sleeping because we think it's most comfortable. And we believe the lie that we don't actually need help. But God's message to us is, I created you for intimacy. I'm calling you out of your isolation. You need help. And God's message to us this morning is, I rejoice in helping my people. Let's pray together. Again, Father, thank you for allowing us to be your children. Lord, I pray that you help us to understand that we have run away from home. We've run away from you. We, 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 we've believed lies about you and we've believed lies about where life and comfort and security can be found. And in, in, in many of us in this room need to be comforted in that reality that we've, we've, we've had no one else to trust. So we have chosen to trust our own ways, to light our own torches. Lord, I pray that you lead us all this morning to hand the torch over to you, to recognize our need for your help, and then to receive the provision that you've given us in and through Jesus, our brother, our savior, and our king. Amen.